Welcome to The Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. So we will continue um, where we left off, discipleship consciousness. So we stopped at the trick called discipleship. And I, and I leveraged that statement because when the enemy is planning stuff, even stuff that have to do with what you're responsible for, he doesn't calculate beyond his knowledge. So really, the overcoming life is the life that gains mastery of oppression outside the remit of the enemy's knowledge. The overcoming life. I'll try and repeat it. It's a life that gains mastery outside the remit of the enemy's knowledge. You're not safe if your enemy knows certain things. Your safety and therefore your advantage lies outside the remit, outside the purview of what the enemy knows. Does that make sense? Yeah. This is standard practice of strategy. And the enemy, unfortunately, because he's not omniscient, only knows what is obvious. That's why sometimes the enemy doesn't disturb you until a prophecy is spoken over you publicly. Because it wasn't only you and the church that heard. Satan and his agents heard. So the enemy goes to war on account of what has been spoken or on account of what has been written. Does that make sense? I mean, look, think of this indicting statement Jesus made. He said, if the princes of this world had known. That's what the scripture says. The princes of this world had known. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But Satan could swear that he knew exactly what he was doing. When he manipulated the Jews, not the Romans. It was the Jews that killed Jesus using the Romans. Because Romans were in charge. And Roman citizens were not flogged. They were not. It was a capital offense to flog a Roman citizen in that era. That's why when Paul confessed that he was a Roman citizen, they became afraid. Because they had been maltreating him as a Jew. Until he says... I appeal to Caesar. Like, who are you to appeal to Caesar? He says, I'm a Roman citizen. They got afraid. They said, you appeal to Caesar. To Caesar, you must go. Does that make sense? That was that, that was that fear. So all of a sudden, a, an entire ship before it wrecked was devoted to sending him to Rome with a captain and guard until they had to hitchhike on another ship when their ship wrecked. <laughs> 
I don't think it's proper to say when they are sheep, sheep wrecked. Come on. Man. <laughs> and they're sheep wrecked. So he was a Roman citizen. Jesus, however, was a Jew in an era where the Romans were in charge. They were colonizing Israel. Does that make sense? So the scripture says that the chief priests and the scribes start to incite the people against Jesus. Here's Pilate, who is a good judge. Pilate was a thorough judge. He wasn't a bad guy. And he had a wife who had sense. And could dream dreams. <laughs> because he, he interrogates this guy and finds him guiltless, faultless, as was expected. But that will not serve the agenda of God. We'll come back to that. So the wife then sleeps and has a dream and wakes up and tells the, the, her husband, see, if you know what's good for you, leave this guy. Don't let his blood be on your head. So Pilate comes out and washes his ass for a bowl of water, washes his hands and says, I am free of the blood of this man. Why do you want him dead? I find no fault in him. And that's why God wanted him dead. Because he had to be a faultless lamb. A lamb without spot, blemish, wrinkle or any such thing. So the reason why Pilate wanted to release him was the reason why God wanted to have him killed. But Satan didn't know that. So he went and incited the people. So Pilate goes, oh, okay. What do you want me to do? And they said, crucify him. Okay, no, no, no. Uh, there's, 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 this, there's Barabbas. That's, that's another son of man. Because Barabbas means son of man. And Jesus always referred to himself. So now we have two systems. Beyond two men. And Pilate, knowing that there's no way in the world you would choose Barabbas over... That's why he chose Barabbas. Do you understand now? He chose Barabbas because he was sure nobody in their right or wrong mind <laughs> or without a mind <laughs> would look at Jesus Healed the sick, raised the dead, ate with sinners, forgave people, you know, drove out demons out of people and all that. And Barabbas killed and raped and maimed and stole and kidnapped and extorted and harassed and threatened and molested and maimed. Nobody will choose Barabbas over Jesus. That was why Pilate brought Barabbas to his utter shock. He's the one we want. They identified with him because he represented them and their state. And they didn't know that he was them admitting that they were leprous from head to toe. Leviticus 16. Because you know the scripture said in Leviticus that if you are leprous and the leprosy has not covered all your body you are unclean. <laughs> if there's a little part of your body that leprosy has not covered, it's not white. Ah, you're unclean. 
But if the leprosy covers all your body and all your body is white from the leprosy, the priest shall examine you and shall declare you to be clean. You would have thought until you understand what the word play was. So this guy is saying, give us Barabbas. He said, yes, this is how we are. We are liars. We are murderers. We are molesters. We agree. We are sinners. Give us, give, we, 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 we agree. As I was saying that, what were they doing? Making leprosy cover all of them. How be it unwittingly? How be it unknowingly? That's what they were doing. Because what was the game plan? That sin might be exceedingly sinful. Give us Barabbas. That's who we understand. So Pilate then asked them, so what then should I do with Jesus? He asked them. And they said, crucify him. He said, what? I, I can't hear you. Crucify him. Hey. Well. Take him. So the Roman soldiers were serving the wishes of the Jews. And, and Satan throws a party. The king is dead. Finally, we can be rid of this Jesus pandemic. And we can all go back. Because I know Jesus. He's the son of God. I was just hoping that Jesus would not confirm that he was. Or I was hoping that Jesus would at least doubt that he was. That's why I would keep asking him, if thou be the son of God, change these stones to bread. If thou be the son of God, bow down, worship me. If thou be the son of God, throw yourself down. He was hoping to plant doubts in the heart of Jesus. So he identified that Jesus was the son of God. Because he knows the scripture that says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He's in the earth. So when stuff happens in the earth, he knows. But thankfully for the believer, he has no revelation because revelation only comes by the Spirit. So this is where Satan is like the unbeliever that believes in the letter because the letter kills. <laughs> Are you following this now? Yeah. Letter kills what the spirit gives life. So all the enemy has is Bible information. Do you understand? CRK. That's all he has. Information. So if you are also in the realm of information, you're in trouble. Because you are right in his territory. It's a level playing field. If all you have is information, all you have is scriptures. All you have is knowledge. Then you have no advantage. Because how did he come at Jesus? Knowledge. If that be, it is written. Satan told the word. The word. <laughs> it's not written that he will give his angels charge over you. Lest you dash your foot against a stone. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? It's the word that said he would give angels charge over you. So jump now is the word that said. <laughs> It's the word that said. Do you understand? He's rubbing Jesus in Jesus' face. It's the word 
that said he will give his angels charge over you. Lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jump! Because the word said. Jesus now tapped into revelation of what was written. Then he stands and says to him, all, this is the scripture that should worry us if you remember UTG series 2. Because in the temptation of Jesus, Satan tells Jesus, all the kingdoms of the earth, he didn't say a mind, he didn't say that, he said, have been given to me. Look 4 and 5. Then the devil taking him up a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The entire kingdoms flashed before him. And then the devil said to him, all this authority, exousia, I, Satan, will give you and their glory for this. And I... Stay in verse 6 and let's see it in the, the, the message translation or passion translation. In the flash and showed him all the kingdoms and regions of the world, 6. And then the devil said to Jesus, all of this with all its power, authority and splendor is mine to give to whomever I wish. Just do one thing and you would have it all. Simply bow down to worship me and it will all be yours. Let's see it in the message. They are yours in all their splendor to serve your pleasure. I'm in charge of them all. And can turn them over to whomever I wish. Amplified. The devil said to him, I will give you this realm, all this realm, and its glory, its power, its renown. Because it has been handed over to me. And I give it to whomever. NLT. I will give you all the glory of this kingdom and authority over them. The devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone as I please. If you check the original translation, it said they were handed over to me. They were given to me. They were delivered to me. By who? By Adam. Legal transaction. They were delivered to me. That's how he became the prince of this world. He was not prince of this world from the beginning. You gave him. And that's why Jesus came. To restore to us what we lost. What did we lose? The kingdoms of this world. Not heaven. Not heaven. Not heaven. Not heaven. <laughs> you were never in charge of heaven. You are too small to mess up heaven. <laughs> what did man lose? Earth. 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 Read the scriptures without bias. Read the scriptures without bias. Read the scriptures without purpose. And it is clear what man lost. That's what you lost. That's what you're going to get back. What is the declaration at the end of the ages? The tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. You're trying to go to God and all his plan is to come and be with you. And so Jesus is dead and Satan is like, yeah! I got him. Now let's go back to business as usual. But Hebrews says in chapter 2 verse 10, for it was fitting for him in bringing many, many, many sons. You know, this is why this, the devil had knowledge with no revelation because the word said, except a corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. When it dies, it brings forth much fruit. 
But Satan had no revelation. He just knew the scripture. So if you check everything that did the devil in, everything that, that, was, that resulted in the Satan's downfall was a result of what he did not have revelation about. But knowledge, he had it. Information, he had it. Bible knowledge, he had it. So some of you don't even know half, in fact, a tenth as much scripture as that dude does. <laughs> he knows scripture. And that's always been his game plan. Did God say you should not eat any fruit in the garden? Why would he start with that question? Because he heard what God said. <laughs> he heard. Did God really say? In other words, when God said that, was that what he meant? And then Jesus dies and resurrects and to his utter chagrin. <laughs> to his utter dismay and shock. Sons are springing up everywhere. You killed one Jesus, now there's billions of us. The, 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 the resurrection of Jesus is Satan's worst nightmare. Worst nightmare. Because Jesus raided the grave. Raided death, it will never recover. And here we are. He didn't plan for us. He doesn't know what to do with us. He can't do nothing against us. So the enemy's advantage over you lies only in the purview of what he knows about you. The things that he doesn't understand, he doesn't plan for. He doesn't understand loyalty, he can't plan for it. It's not his nature. He doesn't understand truth. He can't plan for it. He can't plan for when you come out and, and be honest. Because he's a liar and father of liars. He can't plan for when you repent. He can't plan for when you have revelation. And that's the remit that discipleship falls in. It's a remit when, when the enemy is trying to ravage the church. His plans can't go that far. Because there's a difference between members in church and disciples. There is. Stark difference. And that's how to guard against the Absalom nature. By embracing discipleship. That's how to guard against the Absalom nature by what? Embracing. So you guard against the absolute nature by embracing discipleship. Truth of the matter is you should not be in a church if you're not happy to be identified as a disciple there. You should not. The same scripture that says, and the Lord added to them such as were being saved. Not, as, not such as should be saved. The same scripture says, great fear came upon them. They revered the church. People were afraid to join the church. That's how the New Testament church started. 
people were afraid to join. People were like, no, 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 I can't. Uh-uh. There's a lot. That's the real church. Not the church you waltz into and out as you like. You come to church when you like. You live when you like. You give when you like. You're in the wrong house of worship. Even if you have a Christian name. You're not a believer. I don't care if you wrote notes during the preaching. I don't care if you crammed it after you wrote it. Satan is the pro of that department. Mm. But you are a lot to yourself. You come as you like, you live as you like, you do as you like, you act as you like, you talk as you like. You engage as you like, disengage as you like. The Lord, ma, did not add you, sir. And so you are present, but your presence is not an addition. In fact, your presence is a confusion. Because the Lord did not add you. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich. And I think NASB, New American Standard Bible says, and difficulty does not accompany it. I didn't know sorrow, right? King James says, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich. And I didn't know sorrow. NASB says, the blessing of the Lord makes rich. And difficulty does not accompany it. So if difficulty accompanies you in the church, the Lord did not add you. Yes, sir. Not add you. People feared. So it's people that knew that the Lord of the church has saved them outside. That joined the church as saints. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's your Bible. That's the scriptures. The age of a lie does not make it true. The number of subscribers the lie has doesn't make it true. And it's okay when you're rowing against the tide and people come at you and go, ah. Those are the people that destroy whatever they are involved in. Because they have no stake anywhere. They just have presence everywhere. Because your elder brother said where the treasure of a man is. There. His heart also is. So if our stuff doesn't move you, you are not a shareholder. You are just a subscriber. So now, who is your local church to you? Are you a subscriber or are you a stakeholder? Because it's subscribers that post their subscription whenever they like. With no guilt. So as a subscriber, you can turn on and off at any time. As a stakeholder, you have a vested interest. Is anybody learning anything? If you're struggling in your local church, check your discipleship understanding, check your discipleship posture. We are not a seeker-friendly church. I'll say, I'll say something in a short while to explain this. We are not a performance-based church either. We're not a needs 
meeting church. Christianity has plenty problems, including parading itself as a solution center. The church is a solution to the world. The church is not where believers come looking for solution. Check the scriptures. As much as the power of God is present to heal and deliver, can you point one miracle that was recorded in the New Testament church that happened in the gathering of the church? One documented New Testament miracle that happened when the church was gathered. Documented miracles was always when the church was in motion, in mission. Because when Jesus promised them that these signs will accompany them that believe, he was telling them that in view of what? The great commission. Not the running of church. He was telling them signs and wonders that will validate the announcement of the gospel to the world. Not that will populate the church because the church has power. When he gave them power, in Acts 1 and 8, I believe, it says you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses outside. So power was for what? Witnessing where? Power was for outward witness. Not building empires inside and bamboozling people with miracles. The church is for instruction in righteousness. So you can go and happen to the world and solve their problems. So by the time you're in church looking for your problems to be solved, you're already a problem in a problem. Does God solve problems in church? Absolutely. And cheaply. Until you make it your goal. You go, take. You know how sometimes you get born again, you know, you new believer, it's like, Father, let the, let the pastor call my name. Then you come and then you call it. You, be, you are happy. You now start saying, Father, now he gets me, starts coming. Say, Father, if it is you, let him remember me. The guy doesn't even look at you. He doesn't even, he will pass you like this. Touch the next person. Use him and do example. <laughs> Use them for example. He doesn't even see that you're there. But when you started, it's to sweet you. Every pastor that comes will say, there's a word. There's a word for you. They will look around and say, you, you, I can't, you, behind this one, the one over there, behind the one with the big black head, over there, next to, yeah, you, right there, no, not you, that other, ah, you're like, hey, the Lord saw me. Then the whole church will pause. You come out. Somebody will stand behind you with rapper. Who knows what I'm talking about? Because the Lord is about to... Your parents are proud of you. Your father is proud of you. Your pastor is proud of you. That's a spiritual brother. That's a spiritual sister. After a few months, that fountain dries up. Now, guest ministers come. The whole church is expecting them to pick you. Because we have gotten used to you being the star of church. Everybody knows if, they will not, if the guest minister will not call anybody, they will call you. So, ah, the word is going. You, hi. 
And then sometimes you start singing in the microphone when the guest minister is praying or ministering. You pick a song, yeah. So the guest minister will know that I'm here, sir, I'm here. Another, another, another church. That's the realm of membership. That's the realm of subscription. You're seeker friendly, your needs based. You're performance driven. That's not the church of the New Testament. You see, my problem is that a lot of us don't believe the scriptures, one. Two, because you don't believe it, you are convinced other people around you don't believe it, too. That's the problem with the church. Because you treat the word of God with disdain, you are convinced that everybody around you is pretending like you. And that's why you must guard against it, people. You must, you must guard against someone who subtly or directly wants to derail you from your conviction. You must, you must contend for the faith. You must. You must. You must. You, that's when you slap somebody and walk out of their presence. You must contend, you must protect the faith that you have received. There are things that Paul teaches and he says that something, those things will happen only if you continue in it. Hey, hey. Uh, I will get there someday. There are things in your earthly journey you would never come into until you continue in the faith in fervency. And Paul champions fervency. It's not lacking in spudazo, not lacking in zeal. The gospel is not, it's not the cheap one. Because it was the free one. We see most times we render it as Cheap because we got it for free. It's not, it's not free. It doesn't make it cheap. It doesn't. That's why most times if you actually get a good fragrance, if you get a good fragrance, it's always much more in value than the one you go to market to buy. You know, you get fragrance. 20K, 24K. Perfume. When there's that one, you buy two for 500 and when you enter, every darkness flees. <laughs> Most times, the better fragrances are the ones you are gifted. Because if somebody truly wants to gift you, he wants to establish the value he or she places on you. And somebody truly, truly, truly wants to gift you. They want to establish the value they place on you. So they won't bring you something on the cheap. They usually will not even bring you something you can afford, usually. The stupid thing is if you now want to change the color of your lifestyle to match the gift you received, you will die. <laughs> you know, the perfume finishes, you're now, start, you're now under pressure. So now, now I will now, now smell not like, not smell like, auntie, go back to where you were until the Lord helps you. Now, here's the height of being a simpleton. It's when because we give you perfume that you did not buy, you carry it. You you have not realized that the fact that you got it for free does not make it cheap. (laughs) 
Why will he say, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Why didn't he just stop there? No, 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 no. The same person in the next verse is for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Hello. Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. He argues for grace being without works. Argues vehemently for it being a gift and not wages. He talks about the blessedness in chapter 4 of the one to whom God does not count iniquity and the one who if he walks, then he, what he got was not a gift and a wage. He goes into verse 5 and explains how this transaction happens on account of two men. Comes to verse 6 and talks about how, how shall we then continue in sin? Do you not know that we who died have crucified the flesh along with his members? And then chapter 7, because about the thing I want to do, I find myself not doing, you know, but I thank God for his inexpressible gift. Then guess it was 80. On account of that, therefore, on account of that, therefore, there is now no, all along he's talking about grace. And in chapter, in chapter 8 verse 2, the, the another definition for grace becomes the law. Of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, setting us free from that law. Are you getting this? So grace is the law of the spirit. Spirit. Then James goes on and calls it the perfect law. Am I teaching you well? So you'll be very unwise to treat grace like cheap because you got it for free. That's why we don't want to order in the New Testament. Don't tell me what to do. Don't chastise me. Don't correct me. Don't instruct me. Don't lead me. Don't be responsible for me. I don't have to answer to you. I don't, I don't have to do what you say. Because after all, it's grace. We haven't so learned Christ. I told you on Sunday, grace is actually the order that removed chaos. Grace doesn't promote disorder. Grace is the order. 1 Corinthians 14, 40, Paul tells the Corinthian church clearly without mincing words that all things be done decently and in order. Put it up. Let all things, tell in the Corinthian church. Let all things be done how? Run through translations. If you are resisting order, you are not walking in grace. Punchline, write it down. You're not walking in grace. You're walking in self-deception. If you're resisting order in the church, you're not walking in grace. Grace is order laid down. Put up those translations on the screen. Be cautious and considerate in everything the message says. Doing all things in a beautiful and orderly way, TPT says. But all things must be done appropriately and in an orderly manner. Amplified. Be sure that everything is done properly and in order. Be sure that everything is done properly and in order. But everything must be done decently and in order. 
Paul emphasizes this to the churches. So grace is not the absence of order. On the contrary, grace is the enactment of order. There's a difference between a suggestion and a law. Paul tells Timothy, is not first Timothy, is it 4, 4, 15? It says these things both command and teach. <laughs> 4, 11. He says these things, Paul tells Timothy the pastor, these things command and teach. Teach is did I scan, instruct. Tells the pastor of the New Testament church, command them. A command is something you must do. And an instruction is how you must do what you must do. A command is what? An instruction is how? This is the command. This is how you must do it. But no, we want a feel-good grace gospel. You're in the church and you are missing being in the church where we give you a special seat because you give a special offering. You miss it. And somehow you are hoping if you stay long enough, we will become it. We're a discipleship church. This is what we are known for. This is what we should be known for. And therefore, we should not be ashamed to be known as such. We are that church that spends plenty of time teaching. We are that time, that church that spends plenty of time gathering. We are that church that will be bound by the practice of God's word in spite of ourselves. We will fall forward and keep going and make no excuse for not applying the word. That's us. We will love ferociously, forgive aggressively, give sacrificially, submit in all humility. That's us. We worship with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength and might. That's us. We pray in the spirit with all kinds of prayers and supplications. That's us. Live in the joy and liberty of the Lord without apology. That's us. Walk free of guilt and free of condemnation and free of judgment. That's us. Esteem others more than ourselves. That's us. Be answerable and accountable to spiritual authority. That's us. Handle and take church discipline in love. That's us. If you are ashamed of your local church, it is because you are wishing it would become something else to suit your needs. You're hoping if you stay long enough, it will become like that church. And that makes you a rebel in waiting. You know, a rebel who is incubating. A hibernating rebel. If you're ashamed of your local church, I mean, I'm just there. I don't even have energy now to start changing church. You know, you know most times, deceptive people think they're the only ones that are wise. And they're actually very foolish. Because we don't patronize fully. Foolishness grows in audacity. Because we're not talking. You think you're sharp. You're smart. Nobody has you figured out. You stick out like a sore thumb. Imagine being the only blackboard in this room. And thinking you are disguised. <laughs> because we keep quiet on foolishness. Foolishness is becoming audacious. And we keep quiet because we are teaching you the word. 
in the hope that the word will do what nothing else can do because we are stupid we see right through you and we hear your antics and your gimmicks also we will be silly will be irresponsible shepherds if we don't know what's happening happening in the ranks of the sheep no don't deceive yourself i'm just had ah, to begin change church now you know i've made a few friends there you're worse than somebody in a social club what will i tell my family or my friends or my girl or my man to explain that i left the thing you are trying to guard against by not leaving will implode by your staying the thing you are trying to protect by staying and being a problem to church is the thing that will consume you because you stayed because your staying was not of a pure heart oh yes how will i have a miss success watch your relationship with success that you chose instead of leaving when you should have left if your relationship with success works god is a liar if that relationship works the whole nonsense about descending the lost body is it is nonsense if you can desecrate the lost body and succeed there's no reason for us to be the body let us reason together so if something is strong enough if you should go go don't justify staying here and being a liability because of a benefit inside the same body you don't respect and you expect the body to work for you it will not nourish you it will not protect you it will not cover you it will not stand for you and that's all of this is just priming the absalom in you to wake up and they did this thing best person school for when it is my turn they did not did it for me and that's all absalom is waiting for don't forget it's not about what happened it's about what absalom wants so the moment absalom gets that excuse then he manifests in full with no apology cuz now what has always been in his heart has found justification you did you did you did you didn't you didn't did you didn't did you didn't did you now come on did and absalom goes crazy cuz all he wants is a justification you're rambling waiting it can't work for you it can't it can't enter the relationship with the girl compromise somebody to enter a relationship with them it cannot work at the expense of the church it cannot it cannot work enjoy the fleeting benefits while you can it will fizzle away and you know all that will be left standing the church this is body as long as he's the head and we are fitly paul says fitly joined ayabaga the church will stay standing the first rule identify with anything is to wear it proudly like a stain that has become a badge of honor is to wear it proudly like a stain that has become a badge of honor 
Because you know you can be wearing white. You must be afraid of people that wore white, did not use bib, handled oil, and did not stain themselves. You wore white. Ate from plastic disposable plates. Do not stain. You juggled it. Okay. Because there's two things that happen when you are stained. You either wear it with the consciousness of a stain or you change it to a badge of honor. I ate in church. Now food where I chop for church. You don't know a whole goat died. This is the evidence. That way, the enemy can never mess with you, no matter what he has on you. You wear it like a badge of honor. And then you start to try and wash it, and you're spreading it. You try to take it on, you're smearing it. And you're mess, making a mess of what was a stain they should have left there in honor. Say so yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What happened? Church food. Church food. Church food. That's how disciples are. What they want to use to despise you, you use it as honor. So when you're here, and you can't identify with something as a badge of honor. You're a witch. You don't belong here. You can't wear it. You can't be proud of it. You can't say, that's my pastor. You can't say, that's my local church. Because you are looking for perfect. I wrote here, most times we say that we know that no one is perfect. And that we don't need a perfect person. Until their imperfections rear up and cause us to see that we actually wanted them to be perfect while we were professing that no one is perfect. Then we tie them to the stake of public opinion and crucify them for one sin the sin of failing to be perfect in spite of our confession that we don't need them to be perfect. How dare you be imperfect? When I didn't really mean it when I said you don't have to be perfect. How dare you not be perfect? When I told you that no one should be perfect, I didn't mean it. I wanted somebody to be what I'm not. I wanted somebody to be the perfection I'm not. How dare you not be perfect when... I was looking for a perfect person even though I said I know that no one is perfect. That's what falls some nonsense in church. You're the only one who is permitted to be imperfect. You're the only one who is permitted to be covered by grace. You're the only one whose mess doesn't stink so bad that the blood of Jesus cannot wash it. The moment you perceive someone else is out of line, you crucify them. Not for what they did, but for breaking your standard of perfection that you cannot attain. It is this spirit that makes people ashamed to wear it, their identity like a badge of honor. And you cannot stand up for the truth you deceive yourself to say you have come into. 
You're the one that you let them silence. You're not a disciple. You're not a disciple. And you can't believe in God and not believe in a local church. You can't believe in Jesus and not believe. You cannot. You can't believe in Jesus and not have a pastor. You can't. So you wear it like a stain that has become a badge of honor. So you're either frustrated or you understand, I, I got to wear this thing well. Are you following what I'm saying? Like if you can't apply all these life principles to your local church, you're a hypocrite. Because it's what you make of it that matters. Discipleship is wearing your persuasion like a badge of honor. It is wearing your persuasion like a badge of the said of Jesus. He's going to kill himself. Let's follow him that we're going to die with him. Wear it like a badge. I wear it like a badge of honor. You do not apologize for what you believe. I wrote here, there's no church if its emphasis is not sound doctrine and discipleship. There's no church. It doesn't qualify to be called a local church if its emphasis is not sound doctrine and discipleship. By the way, same difference. Because you can't talk about one without the other. You can't. A disciple in a place without sound doctrine is not a disciple. Just a loyalist. Someone who believes in sound doctrine and doesn't believe in, in, in discipleship is an Absalom. You can't say you believe in sound doctrine. You're not sound, sir. <laughs> because sound doctrine travels the same road as discipleship. Discipleship is for adherence to sound doctrine. So a disciple without doctrine is a blind loyalist. Someone who subscribes or thinks or says that he subscribes to sound doctrine without discipleship is Absalom. There's no church. Do you know the, you know the honest truth in studying the scriptures? You will find that most times when we read and see church, the emphasis was actually discipleship. It's out of discipleship that you get church. There's more emphasis in the scriptures on the model of discipleship than there is on the model, as it were, of church. It's from understanding discipleship in the scriptures that you can do church. That you can be church. It rises and falls on the understanding of discipleship. I'm trying to not go ahead of myself. So only an insincere fellow pours water on the fire of God's word because he doesn't like how it burns. I'll take it again. Only an insincere fellow pours water on the fire of God's word because he doesn't like how it burns. It's God's word. It's a fire. You don't like how it's burning you, so you douse it. Such a person will stab Jesus if they saw him in the flesh. They think they will bow down and worship him, but if he pissed them off, they'll stab him. Oh yeah. He set fire to his farm. Yeah, he's only as good as what he's good for in their estimation. It won't matter to them that it's Jesus. It was the angels that killed Jesus. And the people that killed Jesus didn't have as bad a grudge as Absalom. Yes, 
So what are you saying? If none of them had a personal grudge. How much more something like that? You, see, you stop Jesus. You won't think about it twice. Remember Jesus, Jesus, heal, heal me now. Heal me of this thing. And Jesus says, ah, well, so far it to be so. <laughs> that God might be. Three daggers. So Jesus spelled out his purpose in the earth when he arrived. We're not speaking for Jesus. <laughs> mm. He spoke for himself and he spoke clearly. Luke 4, 16 to 21. Luke 4, 16 to 21. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is Jesus just beginning to start his ministry. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 20. Then he closed the book. <laughs> Give him back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. But he has sent me to do this, to do that, to do that, to do that. And he called these things the works of him who sent him. John 9 and 4. He says, I must walk the works of him who sent me. While it is day, the works of him who sent me. Pay attention to that. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to do this, that, that, and that, and that, and that, right? I must walk the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no one can walk. This is, can walk. This is chapter 9. And in chapter 10 and verse 10, after explaining to them who the thieves and robbers are, he gets to verse 10 and he says, the thief does not come. One of the few verses that is still nice in King James. The thief cometh not but for to in one verse. Look at that. The thief cometh not but for to steal. Oh boy. Nothing replaces King James in this verse. Mm -mm 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 -mm. It's classy. The thief cometh not but for two. Hey! The thief cometh not but for to steal. And to kill and to destroy. The scribes are not lazy at all. How many toes? Because I said the thief coming number four to steal, kill, and destroy. So no, it's him coming number four to and to and to. Mm. Take it, all the toes belong to you. He says, But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it This echoes what he had told Nicodemus in chapter 3. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have I am come that they may have to proclaim the acceptable year of the set at liberty them that are bound and then walk the works of him that sent me.
This is why he went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 4.23. Matthew 4.23, and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And of course, healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease among the people. Matthew 9 and 35. Matthew 9 and 35. Then Jesus went about all their cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. See that again? Mark 1 and 14. Mark 1 14. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Preaching the gospel. And what is the gospel of the kingdom of God? Salvation. Which is equal to destroying the works of the enemy. 1 John 3.8. 1 John 3.8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The devil has sinned from the beginning, not from when he fell. Devil has sinned. Let me, let me make it slightly worse for you. This is John speaking, right? Jesus speaking in John 8. That's just by the way until you get to UTG series 3. John 8, 44. <laughs> Jesus is speaking. You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. Look at that. Don't worry. He was a murderer from NLT. You are a child of your father the devil and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. Always. There's no truth in him. Not like there was truth and then from the beginning. When he lies, it's consistent with his nature. He was built with the nature of lying and murdering. TPT 8.44. John 8.44. John 8.44. You are the offspring of your father, the devil, and you serve your father very well. Passionately carrying out his desires. Look at this. He's been a murderer right from the start. He never, never stood with the truth. He never stood with the truth. Do you have the message? Yeah, from your father, the devil, and all you want to do is please him. He was a killer from the very start. He couldn't stand the truth because there wasn't a shred of truth in him. Uh, first John 3 8. <laughs> he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from. So, who sinned from the beginning? Who was a murderer from the beginning and who fell? If he fell and then changed, is that the beginning? If he was cool and then he fell and then became the devil, how come scripture says he never stood the truth and there's never been truth in him? At all. So between Isaiah, Ezekiel, John, and Jesus, who's telling the truth? Now the serpent was more cunning. Genesis 3. Has thou known how to bind Leviathan? Job 39 and 40. <laughs> Leviathan, the crafty serpent. And God is introducing Leviathan to Job when he's telling him about how things were in the beginning. Oh, but first John 3 8. <laughs> the devil has said from the beginning for, for this purpose. 
The Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works. What is the devil's work? Sinner from. Sinner from the beginning. So did he become Satan or was he created Satan? Okay. You shall continue. <laughs> the preaching of the gospel is the destruction of the works of the devil. Whose works he has been working? So at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he introduces his model, his method, discipleship. And this was a model already introduced and applied. Oh, you will like this. Discipleship did not start with Jesus. Just as I showed you about the foreshadowing of the church and leadership on Sunday from the Old Testament, God, you see, it's, it's, most, most, most of the things we call new in the New Testament are actually not new. Things that are, have been. And they were as foreshadowing, as typologies, as symbolisms. Are you here? Of what was to come. Say foreshadowing. So the same way grace and faith were there in the law. Yeah, David, for instance, what was his business with law? David's mouth was sweet like honey. I love your law, but he broke them all. <laughs> I love thy commandments, but I never kept any of them. Your laws are ever before me. <laughs> and as he broke every law, they called him man after my own heart. So he wasn't called man after God's own heart for good behavior. But for good believing. was a good believer that could break the law and stay with God. Because the average law keeper felt like he lost God when he broke the law. No, David has put aside the law and came to God. That was, that was good believing. Not once did David's breaking of the law cause him to go away from God. In, in, on the contrary, it was, it was obvious David did not regard the law at all. God is a better father to me apart from the law. And God looked at him and looked at him and said, ah, man after my heart. You know these things. David was there. He didn't, 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 didn't do law. Three, three stages to the tabernacle, the outer court, you know, the holy place, the most holy place where the Ark of Covenant is and, and only the high priest goes in there once a year after six months of purification and after killing a bull for himself alone when he's going to kill just a goat for everybody else. David comes and he looks at it. He says, what is this? What's Moses doing? Please, <laughs> remove these things. If God will not come in one room, let him not come. Carried God, the Ark of Covenant, Put in the middle of a rectangular room. Pitch simple tents and forks around. Put the tabernacle there and say, Jew, come. Gentile, come. Worship around this place. If God doesn't want to come, you should leave it. 
That's why the New Testament church is called the tabernacle of David. Do you understand it now? The tabernacle of David was a foreshadowing of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the era of grace, how be it in the law. Anybody could come. Nobody was being told, ah, I saw the Shekinah, the way I saw it. Eh? No, if there was Shekinah, we're all seeing it. That was David. Foreshadowing of grace and faith in the law still. So there were, there were disciples in the Old Testament. Look at 1 Kings. 1 Kings 20.35. Now see this carefully. A certain man of the sons of the prophets. Pay attention to that line. Sons of the prophets. Sons of the prophets. Said to his neighbor by the word of the Lord. Strike me please. And the man refused to strike him. 2 Kings 2 and 3. Pay attention to the word prophets. Because Elijah ran his mouth and said, I'm alone. Jezebel has killed everybody. Jesus said, shh. 7,000 others. Who have not bowed to bow. So, while Elijah thought he was alone. In Israel, God made clear. In Israel, not in the world. Israel had 7,000 other prophets after the order. Of Elijah that could shut the heaven. That could shut the heaven. And say there will be no rain or dew. Go to Elijah. Keep, keep, keep quiet please. You're not usual. There's 7,000 others. Because the spotlight is on you. Doesn't mean you're the only one. And that's instructive. Elijah. There shall be no rain or dew. I said that my word. And it was so. 7,000 others. Hence. Sons of the prophets. 2 Kings 2 and 3. 2 Kings 2 and 3. Now the sons of the prophets. Say the same phrase. Who at Bethel came out to Elisha. And said to him. Do you know that your master will be taken away from you? In verse 5. This is in, 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 in Gilgal. And then in verse 5. They were Jericho now. Sons of the prophets. Who were at Jericho? So you see sons of the prophets in Gilgal. You see sons of the prophet in Jericho. And in verse 7. You see sons of the prophet in Jordan. That's where they were crossing. That's where he, they were crossing. Elijah and Elijah were crossing, right? So, uh, Gilgal to Bethel, or Bethel to Gilgal, Gilgal to Jericho, Jericho to Jordan. In verse 7, you see sons of the prophets, again, in the third location, right? Why they stood by the Jordan. You go on to verse 15, you see that phrase again, sons of the prophet. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah doth rest. King James is nice there again. On Elisha. In chapter 6 and verse 1. 2 Kings 6 and 1. 2 Kings 6 and 1. And the sons of the prophet said unto Elisha. Behold now. The place where we dwell with thee. So by this time. The sons of the prophet had submitted to Elisha. As his disciples. And were dwelling with him. NLT. One day the group of the prophets came to Elisha. And told him as you can see. This place where we meet with you is too small. Let's see how the message puts this. We have the message in 2 Kings. One day the guild of the prophets came to Elisha and said, you can see that this place where we are living under your leadership is getting cramped. So sons of the prophet recognizing unction upon Elisha now at the 
taking away of Elijah, which we understand was such that God will bring about order in church. I thought you when which, which heaven was Elijah taken into? When he was trying for a transfer of what was upon Elijah, Elijah had to be taken away from the scene. Because he too self. Because there were prophets waiting to move forward with what God was wanting to do. So they had transitioned and they were now under the tutelage of Elijah. God is speaking to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 8 and you see that Isaiah too had disciples. Isaiah 8. See verse 11. Isaiah 8, 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand. Isaiah 8, 11. And instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, do not say a conspiracy concerning all that is called a conspiracy. Not be afraid of their threats, not be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him shall you hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. This is about Jesus. You um, to both the houses of Israel and as a trap and snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble they shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. And so as I speak and it says, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. And I, Isaiah, will wait on the Lord who hides his face from Jacob and I will hope in him. I and the ones the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders. Go back to verse 11. The Lord spoke to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of these people. Right? And so he now, he is speaking. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all of that. And then he gets to verse 16 and he says, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. The Pharisees had disciples. Mark 2 and verse 8. Let the scriptures speak. Mark 2, 18, I beg your pardon. 18, not 8. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Right away you see that. John had disciples. The Pharisees had disciples. Luke 5 and 33. So Pharisees, the discipleship brother is not alien to the scriptures. Luke 5.33, then they said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers and likewise, likewise, likewise the disciples of the Pharisees but yours, your own disciples. <laughs> so they were truly disciples of Jesus. Eating and drinking like Jesus was eating and drinking. And true discipleship suggests that as John was not eating, eating honey and low cost, his disciples, Pharisees always fasting and praying and being self-righteous, so were their disciples. John had disciples, John 135. I mean, you've seen it in Mark, you've seen it in Luke, see it in John 135. John the Baptist had disciples. John the beloved is writing this. And then again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. When John announced Jesus, he was in the presence of his disciples. Right? Matthew 11, 1 through to 7. 
Matthew 11, 1, now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples hmm, that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Verse 2. I'm going all the way to 11. Now, when, Jesus, when John heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, keep going, and said to him, are you coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out there to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? <laughs> but what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are wearing soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out there to see for the third time? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. Ten. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven sat here. He's greater than he. Because John was greatest in that he was the one that pointed out the Christ. You are greater than John the Baptist because you're the one that carries the Christ. Matthew 14, 1 and through to 12. Matthew 14. Least, the very least. Just have the Holy Spirit. You're greater than John. <laughs> Matthew 14. At the time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead and therefore these powers are at work in him. Because <laughs> they believed he was Elijah that had come. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. But John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted him put to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. Skip to verse 12. Basically, this story ends with John's head on a platter. Yeah? <laughs> on a tree. But see verse 12. Then his disciples, in his death, in the death of John, his disciples came and took away his body and buried it, and were the ones that went and told Jesus. Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through to 7. You see a band of people, 10 of them. John was long dead. And were into Acts. And John still had disciples. And it happened when Apollos was occurring that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. Go back. Finding some disciples. Finding some finding some okay keep going next slide finding some disciples he said to them did you receive the holy spirit when you believed clearly they were not disciples of the apostles because we'll not be asking a question of have you received the holy spirit right okay go back up have you received the holy spirit? it's like we haven't even so much as heard as whether there is a holy spirit so he asked them, who was your teacher? Into what then were you baptized? Into what? And they said, we're baptized into John's baptism. Or we subscribe to John's message. Give me some modern translations. TPT and, and the message. How were you baptized then, Paul? Asked Paul. They said, in John's baptism. 
Then Paul asked, what, is the, what then was the meaning of your baptism? They responded, it meant that. See why I don't look at these translations when I'm preparing to teach? Because baptism is immersion into what the person believes. So they are saying, we are John's disciples. So we haven't heard of Holy, who is Holy Spirit. They were still disciples of John. Jesus shows up and starts his ministry. You know, Jesus does ministry for a short while alone. He had healed the sick. He had preached the gospel in cities alone. Before he starts to call disciples. Jesus starts to call disciples before he starts to forgive sin. That's how crucial the discipleship model is in God's plan. He starts to call disciples out of sinners. Matthew 4, <laughs> 16 to 22. Matthew 4, 16. The people who sit in darkness have seen a great light and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach. From that time. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Keep going. And Jesus, walking, Jesus began to preach. And walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers. He had begun to preach. Does that make sense? And then walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers follow it carefully. Um, let me back up a little bit. Walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Don't forget, John had loads of disciples. He was older than Jesus, started ministry before Jesus, had disciples before Jesus. Remember that. Remember that some of his disciples left him to follow Jesus. But what you not have noticed is that they didn't do this immediately, even though the Bible interpretation have always suggested that they left John immediately. They didn't. Keep going. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Sons of thunder. In the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, he called them and immediately... That's Matthew's language. They left their boat, the boat and their father and followed him. Now this is Matthew's account. See Mark's account in Mark 1, 16 to 20. Don't apologize for being someone's disciple. Jesus sent us into the world to do one thing. Make disciples. It's the one thing. That's the one thing. He didn't send us to do church. He didn't send us to pay anybody's school fees. So you are a fraud if you are enjoying any benefit of a setup that is designed to make a disciple out of you. And you are not being made into a disciple. A fraud. If you are enjoying the benefit of a setup that is designed to make disciples out of people and you are not being made into one. You can't be enjoying the benefits of a discipleship setup and not be conforming into a disciple. 
So since you have refused the word, we will treat you as an infidel and a an, an heathen. You can't. You can't play that for much longer. Mark 1, 16. He walked by the Sea of Galilee. Look at the difference in the accounts. He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for their fishermen. managers said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And then going a little further, he saw James. This is similar to Matthew's account, right? He saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This one added, they were servants. Now see chapter 3, verse 7 through to 19. This is still in Mark. Oh, go, go to verse 2, chapter 2 first. Second account. Mark 2, 14 to 15. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. He said to him, follow me. He didn't preach to him. I used to follow the, 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 the method, the model. Follow me. And so he arose and followed him. Next verse. Now it happened as he was doing dining, he was dining at Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many. And they followed him. Mark 3 and 7. <laughs> so he just goes around constricting disciples. Willy-nilly. Mark, we're in three, right? Seven. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him. And from Judea and all Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan. And those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. Nine. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many. So that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried, blah, blah, blah. 13, he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. It was when he called those that he himself wanted and they came to him. Then, verse 14, he appointed 12. Because there were many disciples. Or you can say many so-called disciples. So he called those that he himself wanted. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him. This 12 might be with him. And that he might send these 12 out to preach. And that this 12, verse 15, may have power to heal the sick and cast out demons. Then 16 now names them. Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James to whom he gave the name Boanjenes, that is, sons of thunder. You see it there? <laughs> he, he christened them. 18, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, as the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they moved into a house. Yeah? It was in Capernaum. Moved into a house. Luke 5, Luke, let's see Luke's account. Luke 5, 1 through to 11. He moved into a house. There's no such thing as a virtual discipleship. There's no discipleship by proxy. Discipleship is by nature, contact-based. 
Then you smell your leader, you smell your pastor, and then you get up and run. You're a chicken. Discipleship is by contact. You see everything, and you will choose what you see. Luke 5 1. So it was that the multitudes pressed. <laughs> oh, Father, help your church. Multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Gennesaret is also the Sea of Galilee, is also the Sea of Tiberias. Okay? Just so you know. It's the same. Same. Had different names. It was called one name in, in, in Greek, it was called another name in Jewish. It's the same place. The Lake of Gennesaret, if you have a decent study Bible, it will tell you there in the footnotes. And saw two boats by the standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Okay. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little or leave the shore a little. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now it's up to you to think whether this is the same account or different accounts. But just follow. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Only Luke gives this account. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have told all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, that the two boats, that it began to sink. Mm. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on Jesus' knees and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Pay attention to that. Don't assume that he said he was Lord because he gave them fish. He doesn't say that. Okay? Don't assume that. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. So also were James and John. I love to teach. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. They were partners. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, from now on, you will catch men. So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all. Next thing that you do after identifying and taking up as a badge of honor is being ready to forsake all. And follow. You're justifying holding back. That is not your fault. Go away. Justifying holding back, it's not your fault. Go away. Because discipleship, you will leave, forsake all and follow. Come see a man, that one, I'm going. That's the hallmark of discipleship. You are follow, follow, follow. That's your name. That's your name. You are a follow, you follow, follow. Yeah, they will say, You, yeah, you're always, that's what I'm called to do. That's what I'm called to do. So every time your pastor is, is, is ministering, you go, that's my, I live for nothing else. What else should I be doing? Where is this? I is. Because the moment you say you are a disciple, you die. You follow. Because you have seen that if I end up like where this person is now, I'm okay. That's discipleship. How much more where he's going? If I apprehend where he is now, I've come into a measure of my understanding in God. How much more where this person I know will not stop until he gets to where God is taking him. And so as I'm following him, me too, I can't stop. 
left all to follow. Where are we? Luke 6. Luke 6, 12. Now it came to pass, I'm going all the way to 16. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. When it was day, he called his disciples to himself and from them, he chose. <laughs> and from them, he chose 12 whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, that's the Canaanite, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became. <laughs> John 1, 35 through to 50. Lovely read. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples, pay attention. Remember Matthew and Mark's account? Yeah, he saw two, called them. Moving further, saw another two, called them, left their father, followed him. Luke gives a slightly different perspective. They are told all night, we're mending their nets, washing their nets. He comes, asks for a boat, take the, takes the boat out. Yeah, and then he calls them out after they catch a fish, right? John comes from a totally different account, as always. Yeah, <laughs> John is always... Saying what only him is saying. And his account here says, <laughs> you know, the, the location of Matthew, Mark, and Luke is Capernaum, right? Sea of Galilee, Gennesaret. Remember? Okay. The two disciples heard him speak. In other words, they heard John speak. John 137. And they followed Jesus. Now, the mistake here is, is now in the interpretation that by following Jesus, they became disciples of Jesus. So again, we read our intention into the scriptures, not allowing the scriptures to say what they say. And then we end up with confusions and says that these guys are not, they're not agreeing in their accounts, you know, and we're trying to force them to agree and trying to force them to say the same things when in actual fact, sometimes they're saying different things. And sometimes talking about different events altogether. Jesus turned and said, seeing them following. So this following was not metaphorical. Jesus turned and seeing them following. So literally, John is there with two disciples and he says, behold the Lamb of God. And they heard John. So they started following Jesus. Literal following. Not becoming disciples of Jesus. Does that make sense? So they are, Jesus is going and there's these two strange men following him okay and then jesus turned to them and says why what are you seeking what did he find why are you following me and then they said to him rabbi which is to say when translated teacher where are you staying so they were not following him to serve him or to become his disciples but to find out where this lamb of god is living 39 he said to them well come and see and they came and saw where he was staying. And they remained with him that day. This was 4 o'clock, 10th hour. So they was already fast spent. So they stayed with him in his house not so long. They stayed with him that day. Their discipleship journey did not begin that day. To start to confuse you with Matthew, Mark and Luke's account. They followed him to know where he was staying, 
stayed with him that day. Take us to verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. One of the two. That means the other one was not Peter. But in Matthew, Mark and Luke's account, in the lake of Galilee, you see where he calls Simon and Andrew his brother, James and John his brother. In this account, one of these two of John's disciples is identified as Andrew, who is the brother of Peter. And the writer of John is assuming that his readers know who Peter is. So he uses Peter to qualify the Andrew we are talking about. But he doesn't place Peter in this occasion, in this incident, in this happening. He just uses Peter to identify Andrew. Do you understand? Two people were standing with King Solomon. One of them was favor. The favor that is Joy's sister. So as not to confuse her with all other favors, Joseph and Emmanuel and other favors we have. Are you following now? Okay, let's proceed. So put it back verse 40. This is important. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, 41. He first found his own brother, Simon. That means this other number two disciple was not Simon Peter. Because Andrew had to go and look for him. If that second disciple was Peter, Andrew would not have needed to go and look for him. And find him and said to him, we, referring to him and the other disciple, whom, according to Bible history, is John the Beloved, who had a notoriety, very annoying habit of never calling his own name. He never called, referred to himself by himself in his books. The disciple whom Jesus loved. That disciple. <laughs> the nameless one. <laughs> so, Andrew told Peter, he and the other disciple had seen the Messiah. Put it back up, quickly. We have found the Messiah, which is translated, the Christ. And he brought, Simon was brought to Jesus by Andrew on this occasion. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated, a stone. The following day, Look at this carefully. Jesus wanted to go to Galilee the following day. Matthew, Mark, and Luke happened at the Sea of Galilee. Right? Are you following now? John's account is saying this thing has happened. The next day now, Jesus wants to go to Galilee. That means clearly John's account it's not the same account Matthew, Mark, and Luke are trying to write about. If you look at the map of Israel, you see that the river Jordan actually flows through the Sea of Galilee. It comes from the north, flows into the Sea of Galilee, and then it keeps going until it gets into the Dead Sea. So Galilee is in Judea, right? And then you have Samaria down, down here, and then you have um, uh, the, the ten northern tribes up here. So Judea, Judea up here, rather, and Samaria down here or the other way around and you have the sea of galilee just going through you have the um, river jordan going through into the sea of galilee opens up at the sea of galilee and just continues to go in so it comes into the sea of galilee and leaves the sea of galilee does that make sense so capernaum and galilee are in nazareth make sense 
That's the region called Galilee. Where you have the Sea of Tiberias, you have the, or known as the Lake of Galilee, or the Lake of Genazareth. You following me now? That's where Mark and Matthew and Luke's account of the calling of the disciples happen. John's account by verse 41 says that the next day after Jesus met Andrew with some other guy, when they were following John. So these guys were disciples of John. And John was not in Galilee. John was baptizing in the Jordan. And the Jordan is not Galilee. River Jordan is River Jordan. Right up there. Galilee is Galilee. Right down here. Are you following me now? So, Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account, because you meet people that will tell you, no, but see, your Bible doesn't even agree. Just like there's two, there's two Bethlehems. There's Bethlehem in Nazareth, there's Bethlehem in Judea. There's the real Bethlehem, there's the Bethlehem that Constantine's mother decided was the Bethlehem that would be known for the tourist site of the birth of Jesus in Israel. <laughs> So because people will ask you, um, they'll ask you these questions to discredit your scriptures. You can't tell them Jesus is a healer as your answer. You can't tell them I, be, I, I believe in miracles. Because they will turn stone to bread. Yeah, your miracles are not exclusive to your religion. Yeah, the people out there can turn human beings to birds and they fly and come back and turn them back to human. Yeah, the miracles are not exclusive to you. I'm bragging with miracles. You can't explain your scriptures. So out there they think it doesn't matter. Well, that's why we are raising disciples, not dummies. That's why you must wash your brain and load it correctly. Because if you say, look at you. One, one minute you are saying this, next minute you are saying that. Because we miss details. 41. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to... Galilee, oh Matthew chapter 4 go back to Matthew chapter 4 verse 18, look at it now in black and white, Matthew chapter 4 verse 18, what does it say? Jesus walking by Mark chapter 1 verse 16 that's Mark's account, Mark 1 16, look at it quickly okay it's, it's alright, you see Mark's account says we're walking by the sea Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. Luke's account now. You see the discipleship calling. So as he was, multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Genazareth. Now stay in verse 1. I told you that Genazareth is another name for Galilee. Give us a modern translation. TPT or the message or whatever. On one occasion, Jesus was preaching to the crowds on the, law, on the shore of Lake The message. Maybe. I don't know. Genazareth. Which other, which, which other translation? If you have a study Bible and you look at it, you will see that Genazareth was another name for Galilee. So Mark, Matthew, and Luke all placed the calling of those disciples where the sea, the lake of Galilee or the, sea of, or the sea of Galilee. But you see John's account now. John is saying he, they were there and they were baptizing, no, not baptizing. He was saying this is, this is the who the Lamb of God is. They followed him, found where he was. Right? The following day, 43, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. 
So there's no confusion. The John account is a totally different account from Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account. Because Jesus had met these guys and is about to go to Galilee. Where was Jesus? Where was Jesus? Go. What, what is the premise of this? Jesus being baptized. Where was Jesus baptized? Is Jordan Galilee. Go back to 26 of chapter 1. John 1, 26. John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is him who comes after me, is prepared before me, preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. 28. These things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Not Galilee. Not Capernaum. Not Nazareth. Bethabara was just across the shore of the Jordan. Because it's the Jordan River in which John was. That is where John pointed the next day after the baptism of Jesus. When he stood with his two disciples and said, they left John, followed Jesus, found out where he was, stayed with him for the day, went back to John. And these people that happened to be with John were disciples of John who periodically left what they left to come and sit under John for weeks on end and learn. Because earlier on in John, you will see that the fame of John spread across the entire region. So people came from everywhere to subscribe to John's teaching, which is to say to be baptized of him. So laying these things side by side will show you Andrew and Peter and this unnamed disciple as disciples of John who had left Capernaum in Galilee following John. To sit and learn of him. Seeing Jesus. Seeing John point out Jesus. They find out where he is. They have their encounters. And later on, Jesus is back to Galilee. And sees these disciples doing their regular business. Of fish catching. From which they will periodically excuse themselves. And go to John. To get instruction and come back. John chapter 1, we are now in verse 43. You'll see it soon. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Please look at the next verse carefully. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law. And also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come here and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said, behold, I need him, there's no deceit. And blah, blah, blah. Basically, Philip, Andrew, and Peter were from the same place. Bethsaida. A town in where? Galilee. What brought Jesus back to Galilee? The death of John. You read it, you missed it. I will show it to you again. Look when Mark, let me show you Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter, okay, let's go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 14, so you can see that clearly. John introduced them to Jesus, right? So that would have happened before John was killed, because obviously, duh. 
<laughs> Mark 1. Are you in Bible study? Mark 1, 14. Now, after John was put in prison, the prison that we saw in Matthew 11, that led to him being beheaded, Jesus came to Galilee. This is the coming to Galilee that you saw in John 1, that the next day, Jesus set out to go to Galilee. So Galilee was where Jesus was from. Nazareth is in Galilee. Or Galilee is in Nazareth. Does that make sense? So Jesus is back to Galilee. After John was put in prison. Jesus came to Galilee. Jesus traveled the... They say, I've forgotten what it's called. I think it's the Galilee Trail. Jesus traveled Galilee up and down that stretch multiple times in his ministry. Multiple times. Going up Jerusalem, Galilee, Jerusalem, Galilee, Jerusalem, Galilee. He traveled that stretch multiple times in his ministry. At the time he's calling these guys, John has been put in prison. Jesus is back to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew. So by the time they're saying, get away from me, Lord, that encountered him in Bethabara. John had pointed him out to Andrew who had gone and brought Peter and showed Peter to him. They stayed with Jesus because they were not from there. But their hometown was Bethsaida which is in Galilee or Nazareth. Now Jesus is back to Galilee at the imprisonment of John and he calls these guys and then, then he says to them, follow me. So it wasn't the first time they were encountering Jesus that in a vacuum he just saw some strangers and some strangers saw him and he tells them, follow me. And they just leave and start following him. No, there was a backdrop. They had had encounters before. Does it make more sense to you now? So it wasn't just Jesus walking around the sea and just saying, carry your boat, put it there. You know, come out, leave everything, follow me. No, they had met in Bethabara. John never came to Galilee. It was by the Jordan that Jesus introduced Jesus. John rather introduced Jesus to his disciples at the time. Followed Jesus to so where he was staying. Came back there. How did Jesus get to Bethabara? Came from the wilderness, driven by the spirit of God to be tempted. From the wilderness to be baptized. And he says to them, you know what? I'm here now. Ministry has started. Follow me. John is in prison. You have, no, you have no master. That's probably why they themselves are back to Galilee. Because John has been imprisoned. One. Two. Did John say, I know here what? Because he's the one I introduced us to you and say, behold the Lamb of God. See the Lamb of God. Then the Lamb of God that you saw in Bethabara now shows up on the Sea of Galilee and says, follow me. Well, uncle, would you... Would, 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 Would you not follow? Does this explain the accounts for you? So somebody asks you, why is the confusion? Why is this one like this? Why, why is this Simon here and there's no Simon there? Well, there were two different accounts. Now these guys are not writing to give you a chronological order. That's why the Bible student must sit down and diligently apply himself to the scriptures. Excuse me, this is why you need an instructor. You and your Holy Spirit. You didn't see it. And 
Absalom will get up and say, he didn't, he didn't teach me anything. Let, allow people to continue to deceive you as you and God. Continue. You have your Bible. You have had it for years. You have the Holy Spirit. You have had him too for years. Paul said, how would they hear if someone is not sent to them? And in one teaching, we set theology straight. We stay hours, days, studying. Asking the hard questions. Ask, I ask the scriptures questions myself. I don't wait for you to come and jam in the face. I'm never that kind of teacher. That's a dangerous way to teach. Teach and then the teaching now throw up a question you didn't have the answer for. Kai. <laughs> no. Do you know how long it took me to, 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 to study? It took, it took me close to six hours of studying, looking at maps, looking at the scripture, following everything, aligning it. And just to, so that by the time I show you Jesus calling his disciples, I can show you the order. So you can understand the order. And so you can now tell somebody, no, that was at the Sea of Galilee. Let, come, let me take you back to Jordan. Let me show you the encounters Jesus had. The layers of, of interactions he had with these people. Then you see how Jesus actually had healed. Because when you go back study, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law before he called Peter. How did he know Peter? Because Andrew brought Peter to him in Bethabara. So when he started ministry in Galilee, he was just natural for him to be in Peter's house. They had met somewhere. His mother-in-law was sick. He healed her and said, come and cook for us. He had not yet called Peter on, this, on the lake of Galilee. Thou needest to be taught. Luke chapter 4 verse 31. Luke 4 31. Then he came down to Capernaum. Luke 4 31. He came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. Have you seen it? Eh? Capernaum, a city of. And was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teachings for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue, there was a man out of whom he cast out a spirit, blah, blah, blah. And they reported 37. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region, the region of Galilee. 38. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever and they made the request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever and he left her and immediately she arose and served them. This is Luke chapter 4 verse 39. Luke chapter 5 is where you see the encounter of him calling the disciples. And you see them and he says, from now you will catch men. Verse 11. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let me end with this. Note that Jesus did not call his disciples into position. He called them into posture. Into a posture of learning because their sins had not even been forgiven. They had no clue what fishers of men even meant. Because when you catch fish, you kill them and eat them. When you catch men, you don't kill them and eat them. What is the analogy of fishers of men? How does it relate to fishers of fish? Because when you catch fish, you eat them. You sell them. You roast them. You kill them. How does that run parallel with fishers of men? But they, even they had no clue what it meant. Fishers of men. You mean we will carry through our net and 
catch men. We catch them. We roast them. That's what we do when we catch fish. What's the, what's the correlate? But at this point, they have no idea what it means to be followers. They have no idea what it means to be fishers of men. And they follow. Because it's a calling into a posture, not into a position. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So if you are thirsty, if you are service thirsty, if you are, you are Dio Petrus, yes. Dio Tripress, Demas, your position, you are driven by position. I'm not doing anything in church, I'm not singing in church, I'm not, hey, grow and be a disciple. Yes. When we squeeze you, it's not a no to want to hear. It's the word rightly divided. The word rightly divided. Anytime we deploy you anywhere, we know we have deployed light. Not we deployed an auto singer. You're falling over position when you are called into posture. So your posture is wrong and you are, you are, we are fighting. They did not give you a position. You're not close among those that are close to path. You're not those among that are doing this. Your posture is off. A pursuing position. It's a posture of learning. It's a posture of imitating. It's a posture of becoming. And it's a posture of practice. That's discipleship. It's a calling to a posture of learning. Calling into a posture of imitating. Calling into a posture of becoming. And calling into a posture of practice. These guys were not forgiven in the instant they were called. So you can't say they started getting benefit immediately they were called. Uh-uh. Their school fees were not paid the day they were called. Their house rent. You come into church, and as you arrive church, you expect we should pay your house rent. Absalom is working in you already. You arrive church because you have come for six weeks. We should buy you a phone because you have been in church for four months. We should pay your hospital bill because hey, there's some nonsense that is stopping now as God causes you to grow. You can't start to lay hold on benefits of discipleship. Why not applying yourself to the posture of discipleship? Three months, four months, all you have is needs. That's your footprint in church. That's your footprint, that's your value in church. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. Discipleship is not benefit, it's posture. Learning, imitating, becoming, practice. These guys were called and they were not once told your sins are forgiven. Kai, that's instructive. He was carrying them around it. With salvation in a promissory sense. Sent them to preach. And they had not yet been forgiven of their sins. Because they were running off of the energy of Jesus. Off of the anointing on Jesus. Off of the unction on Jesus. Off of the covering and righteousness of Jesus. When Jesus sent them out. It was Jesus that went through them. They went on his authority. They were not born again. And demons ran out of people at the word of people that were sent by who they followed. On the strength of who they followed. And Jesus tells people that had not had their sins washed. Anybody that receives you receives me. Anybody that receives me receives who sent me. Anyone who refuses you refuses me. Because they had entered a lifetime of posture. A lifetime of learning. A lifetime of imitating. A lifetime of becoming. A lifetime of practice. They were not giving salvation on the day they were called. They were not commissioned into ministry in the day they were called. They were inducted into school by their calling. Everything else would follow. What they would lose would follow. What they would gain out of what they lost would follow. Their healings would follow. 
their deliverances, their apostleship will follow because they had been called disciples out of whom apostles were appointed. They had proven themselves as disciples before apostles were chosen to be with him and live with him. If you have enjoyed access that you haven't earned and you have abused it, you ought to repent of it. You ought to repent of it. And align yourself with the posture of a disciple according to the scriptures. They left everything to follow. We'll pick it up from there next, on the next class. <laughs> because we have to adjourn this class. It's a class, it's a major class. Major class. If you're in this school, this is a major course you're doing. Major course, discipleship. Pray in a few moments in the Holy Ghost and align your posture. Align your posture. <laughs> align your posture. If you think this doesn't apply to you, you are very unwise. Very unwise. Speaking the spirit, speaking the understanding. Prophesy over yourself, declare over yourself. Reflect on your posture. Kopala beno medoko so paradabanish. Impoko tepelizende medago she prege de bados. Find in us disciples indeed. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen. Finding us disciples indeed. Indeed. And that we might wear it as a badge of honor. And understand the posture that he calls us into. Not positions, not benefits. Posture of learning, of imitating, of becoming, of practice. That we walk worthy of the calling indeed. We thank you and give you praise. Amen. Yes, give him praise. <laughs> Amen. Was it a good class? Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the Truth Simply Put or at War the Church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.